Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So today we're going to start a study, a wonderful study, on the book of Exodus, Exodus in the Bible. And so let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for being the God who reveals yourself to us. Lord, the God who gave the word to us. We treasure this word because of who it came from, God. Who it speaks of, God. And what its purpose is to bring us to God. And so thank you, Lord, for the book of Exodus. Teach us as we begin our study Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, Exodus chapter one, and uh, follow along here as I read the first 17 verses to create the backdrop for how we're gonna start our study. Exodus 1, 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, God, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor 
and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua, and he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. So this is the beginning of the backdrop of our book of Exodus. What an exciting history that it starts off with. It's so much for us to, to consider. But before we do, we want to talk a little bit about just the name. Now, when we have the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, this portion, along with all of the Old Testament, was translated about 300 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came by a group of 70 rabbis in the city of Alexandria in Egypt, and it was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And at that time, the books were given Greek names. Exodus is not an English name, it's not a Hebrew name, it's a Greek name, and that's what it comes from, and it means the going out. It's referring to the time when the children of Israel, when the Jewish people left Egypt. Now, that's not a bad name for the book. It's not a bad name. It's only one part. It's only one part of the whole history that's in here, or the whole of the themes. But all right, that's what it is. Now, we should, since we're on this subject, we should really talk about the origin. We'll just talk about, just in general, the concept of naming the books of the Bible. And for that matter, we can even really be talking about the chapter designations, where the chapters break, the verse designations, where the verses break and so forth, the numbering of the chapters, the numbering of the verses. And it's really important for us to understand that all of those, the giving of the names of the book, the chapter designations, the divisions, the verse designations, they're not inspired. In fact, they were all put in there less than a thousand years ago. That's the way it was. So let me create a little bit of a backdrop here. You might say to yourself, well, if it's so recent, then what did the Jewish people do for so many thousands of years when they had the books, but they didn't have the names of the books, they didn't have the chapter divisions, they didn't have the verse designations? How could you find your way around the books? Well, let me tell you that it was common at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ that a Jewish boy would go through a certain typical course, and the typical course went like this. When the Jewish boy was six years old during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, he would enter typically into a special school called the House of the Book, the House of the Book. Beit, that means house, Sefer means the book, the House of the Book. So here's a six-year-old's, and they're coming into this school called Bet Sefer, the House of the Book, and here they come, and here's Joshua, and here's Abraham, and here's Chaim and so forth like that. And here they all come and there's some of those six-year-old boys, Jewish boys, and they're all coming into this school called the House of the Book. And they're gonna be in that school for four years. And so you say, well, what did they do there for four years until they were 10 years old? What did they do there for four years? Well, after the teacher introduces herself, they say, here's the book. They give them the scroll. It wasn't a book, a scroll. And they said, now, children, repeat after me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's what they'd say. Children, repeat after me. 
Barashit bara Elohim, Hashemayim et va'aretz. He says, just say these words. Say these words, children. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And all the children would say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Tob me'o, very good. Now say the next one. And the earth was filled, was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And all the children would say, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep. Mitzion, very good. Yofi, beautiful. Should say it like that. Now, and then just say it again. Now let's put the two together. What am I doing? For four years, that's what they did in Bet Safer. They just memorized. They memorized the first five books of Moses. They memorized what we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized those books by heart. The teacher didn't say, now, do you know what this means? No. And she didn't say, Johnny, what do you think about? No. And she didn't say, Joshi, how would you interpret those words? No. All she said was that, Joshi, recite for me. And Joshi would stand up there and say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he would just go in there, and the class would clap, and the next one, and so forth. Four solid years. They memorized, at the end of those four years, the Torah, the first five books of Moses. That's all they did. And then they graduated from that school, Bet Safer, and they entered into the second four-year school, which was a school called the House of the Student, Bet House Talmud, student, house of the student. And for four years, they, what did they do in those four years? Well, they did that. They came and they said, okay, now you know the first five books of Moses. And they said, now students, welcome to the school. And they said, students, repeat this. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua. And they all said, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the servant of the son of Nun, and so forth. And so what happened then was that for the next four years, they memorized the rest of the Old Testament so that after these two schools, Bet Sefer, the first division, the first school, they memorized the first five books. Bet Talmud, they memorized the remaining so that altogether they had memorized the 39 books of the Old Testament. That's what they did. You didn't have to say to them, uh, can anybody tell me what's in uh, Exodus 10, 17? All you had to do was just start the verse. Can anybody tell me, let's say, for example, you say, you didn't have to say um, Exodus 31, Three, they wouldn't say that because those things didn't exist. The book didn't exist. The divisions didn't exist. All they'd have to do is say, you remember, students, the part where it says, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom. And they say, you're talking about Bezalel of your, and the building of the tabernacle. And then they would give you the verses before it and they would give you the verses afterward and everybody would be on the same page in their mind. And so they didn't need the names and the divisions of the chapters and the books and so forth because it was all committed to memory. And that was the basic training for a six-year-old until he was 10, the first five books to Moses, and then a 10-year-old until he was 14, the rest of the book called the Haftorah or the other parts other than the Torah, which was, in essence, all of that comprised 39 books of the Old Testament. And then they came to the age of 14. Don't forget that when they were 13, that they went through the bar mitzvah, which meant that now they were a son of the law, the son of the good work, the mitzvah, and that was also typically 
reviewed as the age of accountability when they were responsible 100% for their own actions. But anyway, they come to graduate at the age of 14, and then there were different rabbis in the land. And each one of these rabbis had his own particular interpretation of the Bible, his own particular philosophical view or his own particular meaning of what these verses are. Because remember now, for the first eight years there, during the from six to 10 and 10 to 14, we're not giving meaning to the kids here of what the scriptures are. We're just giving them just the pure words so that it's embedded within their mind. We're turning them into a library, all right? We're filling up their computer chip with all the knowledge of the words of the 39 books. That's all we're doing here. Nobody's asking for meaning. Nobody's giving meaning. They're just making sure they got the raw data. But when they become 14, there are different rabbis with different meanings. You know how the old view goes. You have two Jews together. You have three interpretations. Well, they had these different rabbis, and they had many interpretations of what it all meant. And then so there you had the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection or the life after death. And then you had the Pharisees, who did believe in the resurrection and life after death. See, those were all camps, and there were rabbis behind each one of those camps. Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel, was one of them, of whom the Apostle Paul had attached himself before he came to light, before he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what would happen at the age of 14 is that the boys would then be interviewed by the different rabbis in order to enter the next phase, which was called the house of meaning or the house of interpretation. Bait for house, midrash. Midrash for meaning or interpretation. And these rabbis would interview these boys to become followers of them. And only a very small percentage of the boys were chosen, just the smartest cream of the crop, whoever the rabbis wanted to, and the others would take up a trade or go into their father's business or whatever, and that was how it was. Now, that was the system. There was just one problem with learning the Bible that way. And to see the problem with that method, you have to look at John chapter 5, verse 37 through 40. Very essential part here. John 5, 37 through 40 says this. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here in John chapter five. So you like to turn to that. John chapter five. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about himself with regards to the scriptures. And what has occurred here is that in John chapter five, which opens up with him at the temple in Jerusalem, large public area, Whenever you read the Lord Jesus Christ speaking and you paint that picture within your mind and you see him there standing and see him there speaking, you be sure to put into the picture the group that he's speaking to because that makes all the difference in the world and that helps you to understand. Is he speaking to the masses? Is he speaking to his enemies? Is he speaking to the Gentiles? Is he speaking to the Roman soldiers? Is he speaking to his disciples? Is he speaking to the Father Is alone? Is he speaking to only James and John and Peter? Who is he speaking to? Very important whenever you read a verse where it says, and Jesus said, to look up 
before that verse and put the right group into the picture, the context, because that will tell you so much. So when you come to chapter five in John, you'll find in verse one that this was a feast of the Jews and he had went up to Jerusalem. So now large groups of people and the Jewish people are there. And he's, first of all, in verse two, he's by a sheep market, a pool, which is a place called Bethesda. And there's sick people there and and he heals them. And now there's a large crowd that is created and the big contest has come up. You did that on the Sabbath day. And now his enemies have stepped forward and they're accusing him of doing that. And he says to them, and he's speaking to his enemies in verse 17, and he says, my father is working now when why shouldn't I be working? And now verse 18 says, and they're seeking to kill him as he brings that out. And he's explaining to them about why they are seeking to kill him. And you see, that's the context and that's the background. Within that context, within that background, he says the words of verse 37, and these are the words. And he says to them, to his enemies, to the crowds, to the multitude that are there, he says, the Father himself has sent me, and he has borne witness of me. And then he turns, and again, he's speaking to his enemies who are accusing him of having done wrong by healing on the Sabbath day and wanting to kill him. And he says to them, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Two things he said. He said, you never heard his voice and you never saw his shape. Now, this is the Lord Jesus Christ who is God in the flesh. If they knew who was speaking to them, they would have said, like Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and they would have said, as we speak to you, we see your shape. We see the shape of God. They would have realized as we hear you, because in this same book, he's identified as the word. In the beginning was the word, it says. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And later on in that chapter, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They would have realized this was God. They would have realized the words that we're hearing are the words of God. We hear the words of God. We hear the voice of God when he speaks, and we see the shape of God. So when he says, you have neither heard his voice in any time, of course they could hear his voice. He was speaking to them, but they didn't hear the voice of God in what he was saying. They didn't see him as God. They didn't hear him as God. They didn't see him as God. So that's what he meant. He says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And then he said, and ye have not his word abiding in you. He says, you have, you have not his word abiding in you. You don't have the word of God living in you. The word of God does not have a house inside of you. You don't have the word of God living in you, abiding, dwelling, setting up his tent, his tabernacle, at home inside of you. And then he said, for whom he had sent, not what, but whom, for whom he had sent, him ye believe not. There it is, right there. That's the whole problem. He said, it's not a case of you don't have the information that I am Jesus of Nazareth, uh, was born a carpenter's son, and, and now I'm in a public ministry, and I'm a rabbi, and I have uh, followers who are following after me, and my particular view on this is, subject is that, and my particular view on that subject is this. No, no, no. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, whom he hath sent, the Father hath sent. What's that the issue of? That's the whole issue of the Messiah. The Mashiach, or the Messiah, refers to the anointing, where the oil was placed over the head of the priest. In other words, whenever a priest was to be commissioned, or started off, or sent into his career, in his ministry, as a priest, as a spokesman for God, he was typically anointed with oil. You like to think about it as like the christening of the ship, the breaking of the bottle of champagne at the stern of the ship, and the ship rocks off, so God doesn't do that, but but the oil on the head, and that starts the ministry, and that's the term Mashiach, or Messiah. So whenever you see the term Messiah, always think of these words, whom he hath sent. He is the one who was sent from heaven to earth. So that's the term there. So he said, for whom he, the Father, hath sent him, ye believe not. You did not believe God's great messenger, the Messiah, him, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not, you have not believed him. So therefore, you have these problems. What problems? Because you didn't believe that God the Father sent him, because you didn't believe that he is God the Son who has sent God himself, because you didn't believe that, you didn't hear the voice of the Father, problem number one. You never saw the shape of God because here he was in the flesh, and you don't have his word living inside of you. Now, now here we're talking about scriptures, and then he says these words. He says, search the scriptures. He challenges them. Go ahead. You who have already gone through Sefer and memorized the first five books of the Moses, you who have gone through Bet Talmud and memorized all the rest so that now I know who I'm speaking to, I know you have memorized the 39 books of the scriptures and called them the Old Testament at that time. That's the only scriptures there were. So that you have memorized the 39 books of the scriptures. And he says to them, search the scriptures. They could stand there and recite the scriptures. They could stand there, and if they had the time, they could go from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Malachi and recite it through flawlessly, perfectly, not missing one jot, one tittle, one word. This is the people he's talking to. And he says, search the scriptures. What do you mean search the scriptures? I can recite the whole scriptures. No, no, no. Go and look again. Search again. Because what he's saying is here is that with all of your Bible memorization that you have done and all of your knowledge of the letters as they are, you missed. You missed it all. So he says, go back and look. He said, search the scriptures. And then he says, for in them, that's the scriptures, for in them ye think Ye have eternal life. See, he's saying, you got it wrong. You think that in these letters and in these words that you have eternal life. You think that by standing here, because you've gone through Betzulfer, because you've gone through Betalmud, because you've memorized 39 books of the Bible, you think that just because you can stand here and recite it perfectly, that that gives you eternal life. You think that that's what life is. You think that because you go into the Bet Talmud 
And when you're reciting scriptures, that you do this action back and forth, back and forth, and you hold your scrolls and you recite, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and so-called what's called um, davening, in davening. You think that when you speak and when you daven and you just speak these words and these words and you know them, you know them better than most of us know them. You think that that's eternal life? You said it's not. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 